Alicia Presses Anthopolis, Seacoast Online. Good Tuesday morning, Alicia. Good morning. How are you? You don't give a damn. I do. I care deeply about your your interest and well being. You're a very you're a sincere individual. <clears throat> yes, indeed. So what's a, where where do you want to start? I mean, I don't know. There's the obvious, the Michigan primary today, but I don't expect any surprises. It'll be interesting to see how many people vote in the Democratic primary and do what um, the Democratic congresswoman wants them to do, which is not to vote for Joe Biden. But I don't think that's going to have any significant impact. Yeah. And, of course, Michael Graham, New Hampshire Journal, always pointing out the fact Biden taped the Seth Meyers show in the afternoon. So don't think he was up that late being that chart, probably around three in the afternoon. All right. Well, um, I wasn't up that late to watch it, so I wouldn't know. Well, Seth, Seth is from Bedford. He's a good guy. Uh, no, I know he did, Michael. I know they tape all the shows. In fact, you know, O'Reilly used to tape his show, the one in the evening. I never knew. You know, I don't know if you knew that. It wasn't live. Hey, Alicia. It looks that, live. But... It looks live, yeah. Um, I'd rather do a live show. I think taping would get maybe more, more nervous. Hey, um, okay, so we asked Governor Sununu, why is Nikki Haley hanging in this thing? He says, we haven't seen a lot of the vote yet. Presumably that's Super Tuesday. But it, it's, ine- it's inevitable at this point. Trump's going to get his fifth fifth in a row, big win. He's the nominee, and it looks like Biden's the nominee. Can you believe it? I can't believe that this is what we're left with in 2023, you know, particularly since we've all, Republicans and Democrats, been talking about for years, needing something fresh, needing something new, new ideas. And here we are with two old men who have both held the office before. It just, it goes against the narrative I've been witnessing for a decade, and yet here we are. Yeah, here we are. Um, All right, marijuana. Interesting. You know, the House, you've been you've been outspoken on this. You've talked about it on the show, Seacoast Online, Alicia Preston's Anthopolis. Check out her written and spoken word. So the public support seems to be there for it, the House passing it in general. But the Senate, we had Senate President Bradley on my show Friday and Senator D'Alessandro, leading Democrat. They're both no votes historically and still are. But Bradley, the Senate president, basically saying he thinks there might be enough votes this time. You never know for it to squeak through. So Governor Sununu, I asked him this morning, he doesn't like the House bill in its current form. He said if they'd listen to him and change it, he'll sign it. What do you think? Well, full disclosure, as I've noted before, I am a lobbyist and I work in this space. But, um, you know, I think the bill out of the House is a solid bill. I think what the governor wants to do is a little bit different model, also a solid uh, bill overall. There are a few details that may be problematic, but uh, it is time for New Hampshire to legalize marijuana. And here's why. Because if you are in New Hampshire and you want to use that product, you already are. You are either buying it from another state and giving them the revenue and tax dollars, or you're buying it off the black market, which is incredibly dangerous. These are untracked products. They can be laced with things like fentanyl. We know that's a major problem. If we put it under a regulatory structure, people will use the legal product. It's given the opportunity, and there's not a massive price differential. It is time to do it because if people want to use it, they're using it. Why are we benefiting other states, and why are we putting people in danger by not having a regulated product instead? It's like saying, okay, let's have, you know, bucket alcohol instead of selling alcohol that's already cleared to the state. I don't understand in 2023 why we're not here yet. I'm hoping this is the year. People have worked so hard in the Senate, in the House, and the governor's office as well to try to come up with a bill where the details match the needs of the state of New Hampshire. And I think we're close. All right. What else are you covering, writing, talking about? You always have something good going on. Um, I'm not sure what I'm writing about yet this week. It's only Tuesday, but there's a lot going on. Look, I think it'll be interesting to see. We have, in a few weeks, towns are voting across the state and see where they are with spending. You talk about spending at a federal level and a state level. 
But there's a lot of talk now about spending at the local levels as property taxes continue to rise and property values are so high. So I'm going to be watching what towns and municipalities across New Hampshire do. I think we'll be telling us to where the voting electorate is in various issues. Um, you know, there's, there's the immigration issue. We've got Trump and Biden on the border on both going to the border this week. I think going to the border for a photo op is great. I don't really care. It doesn't get anything done for any of them. I'd like to see Congress stop playing politics with the issue and actually pass a protective border bill. I'm not optimistic because politics is all Washington does nowadays. But I hope that the people speak to their own representatives to say, just get something done. I don't care who gets the win. That's not how this is supposed to work. Okay, but let's, let's, let me talk about the national media with you for a moment. So on the border bill and all the politics, national media will take what President Biden says. It's the Republicans and Trump telling members of the House and Senate, don't vote for this bill. It's bad. I want to get the credit. Don't give Biden the credit. And they blame Trump. But the national media doesn't talk about the fact that the Biden administration has done nothing in three years to protect and secure the border. And now all of a sudden cares about it. And they don't point this out. They don't point out that the Biden administration sues Texas every time the Texas governor in Texas tries to take care of the illegal migrants coming over to seek asylum by the millions or thousands. And they don't even tell you what's in the bill, the national media, or the Democrats don't support it either. It's always it's so simple and dumbed down that it's Trump. And then on and real quickly on the border, it's amazing to me that this this terrible, unbelievably horrific, evil murder of this wonderful nursing student in Georgia, Dean's List, beautiful, young, vivacious woman, going to be a contributor and a, and a giver in society. Her life is snatched. And the Associated Press and CNN don't even point out in the article that the dirtbag that did it is a convicted criminal, uh, broke into the country through El Paso from Venezuela. He's an illegal immigrant who was arrested in New York City. They don't even point this stuff out because they don't think, they don't think it's important in the story. So, what, you know, come on. I don't disagree with any of your analysis or any of the facts you just presented. I think they're all true. But this is what I think. Even if, even if Joe Biden is working on a border bill, the Democrats are working on a border bill, strictly because it's an election year and they're worried about the outcome, I still want it done. I don't care who gets the win. And you're right. It's, it's political. Okay, i got to get something done. My poll numbers are going down. Fine. But we still should support getting it done. And Donald Trump said the quiet part out loud. Don't get it done. Let the border stay open. I don't want Biden to have a win. That's as equally bad leadership as Joe Biden has presented the last three years. As equally bad. Something needs to be done. To your point, that young woman that got killed, there's an example why. The fentanyl coming over the border. There's an example why. There's millions of reasons why this needs to be done. And playing politics is the wrong way to do it, particularly saying, I'm trying to protect the American people. Because they're not. They're trying to protect their office. All right, good stuff. APX, Seacoast Online. Thank you, Alicia. Have a great one, guys. Good morning, New Hampshire, powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, before we get some, uh, you know, we it's that time of year, so I know it's not the most popular thing, but strategic tax planning. We're going to hear from our friends at Guyton Forge Financial. But first, Aaron Real, MC News Radio National Correspondent, joining us live. And Aaron, looking at some states, you hear about the most affordable housing. But what about states that are better for women on a bunch of different fronts, if you will? Uh, really, the Northeast is where it's at. You guys in New Hampshire came in 18. This is according to data from WalletHub. They did a real comprehensive look, 25 key indicators, 
Um, all database, that's their methodology. They don't call anyone and ask their opinion. They actually look at the numbers, and they, they crunched everything from median earning income for female workers to female health care to homicide rates. And Massachusetts came in first place, best overall place for women to live, followed by D.C., Minnesota, Vermont, Maine, Maryland, New York, Hawaii, Jersey, and Delaware. And then the worst performing, not surprising, Jack, it's, it's the regular offenders, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, West Virginia. Um, generally, the poorer states have a lot of their docket in terms of what they need to address. And uh, while, you know, women's quality of life is very high, it might not be principal among them. All right, good stuff. And that's Wallet Hub, you said, Aaron, if people want yep, to check Wallet that Hub out. Has this whole thing. All right, thank you, Aaron. Make it a good Tuesday. Thanks, Jack. Andrew Guyton. And, of course, he's the principal and founder of Forge Financial out of Portsmouth, Pease International Trade Port, the great Guyton group over there. And Andrew, also chair of the Seacoast Chapter of Veterans Count. Thank you, Andrew, for that. And I know we're going to get to tax stuff in a moment, but you're already looking at your 12th annual The Big Seacoast event to support veterans. Yes, Jack. We're very excited about this year's annual Veterans Count event. Like you said, it's the 12th annual event. It's become known as the party of the year out here on the Seacoast. Uh, where we get to raise some incredible funds for the members of our New Hampshire military and their families. And this year, they will be held on June 22nd at the Governor Dale Farm in Northampton with more details to come. So check out the website at vetscountsos.org for more information about this amazing event. And we'll get you on because in May, I don't, I know there's a date, Chadog, but it escapes me right now, but in May we're going to have my 10th annual Veterans Count Radiothon for the same group, of course, part of Easter Seals, and that'll be a 12-day Radiothon coming up in May. So there you go. Thank you, Andrew. That's right. Thank you, Jack. All right. What's, uh, I know it's... May 15th. May 15th, by the way. Thank you, Dog. May 15th, 12 hours for our veterans. Um, strategic tax moves. What does that mean, Andrew? Yeah, so when people save money... They're all, they oftentimes think of tax implications today, but they may not think about the implications down the road. So, for example, they might decide to max out their 401K to save on taxes now, and that assumes that they'll be in a lower tax bracket down the road, which may or may not necessarily be the case, especially if you're you know, in the earlier stage of your career and you'll be earning more in the future, as many people do. So uh, we have to understand that most people make money later in their lives and later in their careers, so therefore... We may actually want to pay some taxes now because you'll likely be in a higher tax bracket in the future. So, in other words, we'd urge people to think beyond today or this year and consider the bigger picture. Makes sense. Um, but is this kind of a situation where more is better? And should people try to do kind of a bunch of these things, or how do you focus? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, Jack. You know, in your early earning years, you might want to use uh, tools that, you know, grow with after-tax money, like a Roth. Uh so you pay your taxes now, and it grows tax-free. Um, perhaps you could use some Roth and some pre-tax. That way you have a blend of different tax treatments in your retirement plan. Um, so to your point, is more always better? Not necessarily having a combo can generally be a really good thing. Um, secondarily, when you get to retirement, you can also manipulate your tax bracket by taking a certain amount out of the pre-tax money versus the Roth, so you won't need to pay taxes on that. Right? Um, if you're a business owner and you sell your company, you're going to get a nice payday out of it, which is great. You worked for it. And then a lot of people will turn around and they'll invest that money. If you want to live off the interest, you have to keep in mind that interest is always taxable, including here in New Hampshire. So if instead you have the ability to live off some interest but also some of the principal or money that you put into that, you wouldn't pay taxes on the principal because that comes out tax-free. It's your basis. So. 
some different options there uh, in ways that you can manipulate it. The final one that we'll give people is, you know, some annuities will also allow you to spread games over your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can ex- consider things like an exclusion ratio to help, you know, with that tax burden. So I imagine, um, Andrew, that timing has a lot to do with everything, but a lot of people save all this to the end of the year and go to their accountant or planners say, you know, in April. Imagine that if you're going to take advantage of some of these things, it might be better to do quarterly or throughout the year or not. What about timing? Well, you got to keep in mind that retirement plans have to be funded in any given year. So this is a shift that should occur over time. Um, it's not something that uh, you're going to just do all at once. So, you know, you need to make some strategic moves before retirement so you don't run out of runway to do so. What about any other just final thoughts or suggestions or maybe recapping the uh, the first line about strategic? Any other thoughts before we uh, let you go? No, I mean, some people might also choose to optimize things like charitable giving for tax purposes. Uh, if you're interested in donating money, it's wise to, wise to include charitable planning as part of your state plan because, again, there's some tax deductions in there. Um, another thing that people look at and take advantage of is tax loss harvesting uh, to reduce your capital gains. And the easy way to understand this is, you know, if you own some stock in Google and some stock in Microsoft, imagine uh, in, a, in a different world that Microsoft isn't doing well, but Google is. You sell some shares at Google's, and then you sell some of the Microsoft shares. They wash out some of the gains, so you won't pay as much in taxes. Right? And it's a good practice in general to sell some losers and winners, even though it can be uh, hard for people to sell the losers because, you know, we don't necessarily want to admit that maybe it didn't go perfectly, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, and then one more thing, Jack, you know, I strongly encourage people to, you know, consult with a trusted advisor and accountant to develop a strategy to help them reach these goals. Uh, As you can imagine, these things get pretty complicated pretty quick. Um, So having an advisor who's knowledgeable, experienced, and objective to help you through this and see the big picture uh, is really, really important. No single advice is right for everyone, um, so you got to work with a professional to help right. customize the plan for you. Well, I was going to say, if you need a shoulder surgery, I don't think I'm going to do the surgery myself, right? I'm going to go to a doctor, so. Absolutely not. All right, Andrew, great stuff, and thank you again that the uh, 12th annual, the big annual Seacoast uh, VetsCount.org, but it's coming up in, you said, June? In June, June 22nd. Awesome. Learn more at VetsCount.org. Thank you for the leadership on the veteran side and the Seacoast chapter, and if people want to learn more, meet with you. They can check out Forge Financial, Pease, International Trade Port in Portsmouth. I know the number is 603-766-9200, right? That's right. Correct. All right, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Michael Graham, New Hampshire Journal, nhjournal.com. Fact checker. Good morning, Michael. Uh, Fact checker? I don't News generator, troublemaker. I'll take any of those labels, Jack. Another, uh, I know we're going to get, I'm going to get back to stuff here, but national stuff. Big, another uh, big win for Trump in Michigan today? I suspect so. And all this talk about that there's going to be a significant anti-Biden uh, vote, people writing, voting uh, uncommitted or whatever, I suspect that's overblown. He's going to do very well. Uh, he's the party's nominee. Everybody knows it. And so all this talk, oh my gosh, he's, he's in danger of losing. Yeah, if the anti-Biden vote inside the primary is more than 10 percent. I'll be stunned. So I'll set that aside. The, the stunning thing to me, Jack, is that with the death of 22-year-old nursing student uh, uh, Lakin Riley on the lead of every news outlet in the country, with the local governor, Chris Sununu, sending troops down to the southern border, 
with exit polls showing that in New Hampshire and South Carolina, immigration is the top topic. When it's so big, Jack, that Dr. Phil is talking about illegal immigration and yeah. border security. The two Democrats running for governor in New Hampshire think they can run this campaign and just not talk about it. They are both still a solid no comment on immigration policy if they become governor. But you bring up abortion rights, they'll be right there. And that's their theory, I guess, is that they can just avoid one and only talk about the other. But once again, in the last 24 hours, you've had one poll that says it is the top issue for voters. You have another poll that say it's the biggest disappointment for Biden. Voters say it's his biggest failure. And then this morning, Gallup, immigration surges to the top of most important problem list. That's all in the past 24 hours, Jack. So I mean, the voters are where they are, and we don't know where they'll be in, uh, in November. But uh, it's kind of strange to have the hottest topic in politics and then the two candidates for governor simply saying no comment. I just don't want to talk about it. But, Michael, you mentioned the nursing student, Lake and Riley, and I've talked about mm-hmm. it since I've heard about her news. The news terrible. Why is it the Associated Press or CNN just don't even mention the status of the alleged murderer, that he came here illegally, he has a criminal background, he came in through El Paso, uh, he was arrested in New York City. Why is that not germane to her murder investigation? Well, I mean, it's germane to her murder investigation, but it's not germane to a left-of-center media outlet who's trying to keep their audience happy. And they don't want to report things to their audience that their audience doesn't want to know. And let's face it, that happens with Fox News, too. So... That's where you are. Uh, it's like this morning on WMUR where they reported that uh, there's you know, negotiations going on to get, hum, quote, Hamas to release some of the dozens of hostages. Dozens? There's 134 hostages. It's like a dozen dozens. Why would you say it that way? You're saying that way because you don't want to make Hamas look bad and you don't want to make Israel look good. And that's just the world of uh, media that we're in, Jack. The, the days of... Objective down the middle media are dead. They just don't exist. All right. What else? Yeah. What else is catching your eye, Mr. Graham? Uh, well, uh, the fact that the uh, New Hampshire uh, uh, AFL-CIO has endorsed endorsed Joyce Craig in the governor's primary, which I think is interesting because you know the Craig Wilmington thing is really a front for the fight between uh, Governor John Lynch and Maggie Hassan supporting Joyce Craig and the uh, Shaheen's backing Warmington. And so this is going to be a lot of fun race, I predict, because you have two full, you know, Bill Shaheen is probably, Mr. Shaheen, I should say, I don't know him personally, is one of the smartest people in New Hampshire politics. And if he's helping Warmington, that's a big deal. But uh, Joyce Craig has a team of establishment Democrats who are behind her, and it's going to be fun to watch uh, watch them battle this out. The backstory that you're maybe getting to or not there yet, there's a split between the Shaheen camp and the Hassan camp when it comes to Warmington and Craig. Exactly right, and it has been. And uh, who cares about the motives for me? Because remember, at New Hampshire Journal, NHL.com, we are in the stands as political fans. We've got our beer. We've got our hot dog. We want to watch a good game. That's why 2022 wasn't a lot of fun. The three Republican nominees were all weak. You knew it wasn't going to be much of a race. But this could be fun. And the other thing, Jack, is... These are the same Democrats who have insisted that the primary date be in September, late, you know, late in the year, the latest in the country. No one will go later than New Hampshire. So one of these two is going to come out of that primary, Joyce or Warmington, having had spent a ton of money, having had the campaign negatively for the last whatever weeks, and then they finally get out, and then they're going to have to turn around 
and unite their party with just six weeks to go. It's something that they're used to watching the Republicans struggle to do. It'll be interesting to watch how the Democrats manage to do that uh, this September. All good stuff. Michael Graham, NHJournal.com, New Hampshire Journal. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent, joining us on this Tuesday morning. How are you, Rory? I'm doing well, Jack. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay on a, you know, here we are on Tuesday. Yeah, there you go. What do you have cooking? The Michigan primary today, and it looks like five in a row for Trump, or what? Yeah, you know, by some polling, it looks like Donald Trump could win by more than 50. Five points against Nikki Haley really calling the question. What is she still doing in this race? Now, we are one week out from Super Tuesday, but uh, really, she hasn't won a contest yet, came up 20 points behind in her home state. So the math just doesn't seem to be there for a Haley campaign. But also watching what's happening on the Democratic side, this push for the people there uh, getting an uncommitted vote among Democrats voting. Uh, They want the Arab-American population, Palestinians, Muslims to vote um, for this uncommitted category for Joe Biden because they're trying to send a protest vote that they should the U.S. should be more involved in getting a ceasefire in Israel in Gaza. Yep, and that's what we're hearing. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent. Thank you, Rory. Thanks, Jack.